Oh, congratulations. <laughs> uh, I'm glad somebody loves raspberry. All right. Well, unfortunately, Marilyn wasn't able to be with us this morning and uh, just asked that you be praying for her. Um, but uh, if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. And some of you, uh, many of you are probably like, wait a minute, we've already done 1 Peter. We just got done with this. Uh, what are we doing going back? Well, um, there was a chapter um, in that, and I'm going to explain some of this later, but... Uh, there was, a, there was a point in this book that I, I really, God really used uh, to shape uh, the sermon series that we're going to be doing and the, and the sermon focus that we have for this uh, 2020 season. And so I'm excited about what the Lord has for us. And if you were with us last week, you know that our focus for 2020 is community. And the name of this new sermon series, which we're going to do for the next three weeks, is about going all in on community about how do we as a church, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we get engaged? How do we start off? Um, And what are some of the ways that He has asked us to do that? And this morning we're going to look specifically at the gifts that God has given us. And how do we use those things for His glory? How do we use them for the good of the church and for those that are outside of our four walls this morning? So hopefully you were able to find First Peter uh, chapter 4. Um, you should have hopefully remembered where that was at from our sermon series. And so this morning, if you would stand with me, that we may honor the reading of God's Word this morning. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we come before You this morning. And Lord, it's good to have moments when we take a step back and we remember your very grace. Lord, how it is varied in our very own life, whether it be through the homes that we have or the families that we're blessed with, whether it be through the food that is in our fridge, or whether it be, most importantly, through the grace that you showed through the cross and through the resurrection. At the same time, Lord, it is so incredibly easy for us to take all of those things for granted. Lord, to just use them in the ways that we would desire, to forget where they ultimately come from, and to, in many ways, waste them. Father, I ask this morning that you would help us to see your word in maybe a new way this morning, that we would help to that you would help us to to glean from it that which you have put into it, that we would understand how you have called us to be engaged. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you do speak to us. We thank you for your word this morning. We pray all of this 
In the wonderful holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I don't want to take a ton of time this morning to do this, but I want to to backtrack a little bit with you this morning to kind of help you to understand a little bit of where I'm coming from when I talk about community and relationships in particular. Because many of you know my testimony, but maybe you don't know why this, why this in particular is important. And so this isn't, before we get into our passage, I just wanted to kind of give you an overview and a kind of a sense of where we're at. You need to understand that for me, community and relationships started with my family. When I was about uh, four, Jesus Christ saved my dad. My dad was not a bad guy, but he was not a follower of Christ. And, uh, but God used uh, some co-workers to, to lead him to Christ and to share the word with God, of God with him. And so dad became a Christian through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then dad took, started taking us all to church. And from the very beginning, I understood that church wasn't just something that we did on Sundays, but it was something that, that was different. And, and we were there every time the doors were opened. And not only that, but many of dad's co-workers went there as well, and now these co-workers were in our home a lot more often. And much of that was great, because many times they were in our home just to play games and to share a meal, um, and I, I have never lost my love of either one of those things. Um, but they were also there, and even as a young, young child, I can remember serious conversations being had around the dinner table about faith and about life, and just the good things and the hard things. And so from a very early age, I saw that. Not only that, but in my family, I saw the idea, I saw the idea of, of inviting others that could never repay you. And so it was not uncommon for us to have strangers in our home. It was, not a, it was very, very much not uncommon for us to have college kids. It's amazing when you offer food, how college kids just, whoop. especially at HLG in the late 90s, like... The cafeteria was not especially good at that point, and so they would just flock. And so Sunday afternoon, minimum three college kids, maximum who knows. Um, it was not uncommon for mom to, to be serving eight plus us. And uh, it, was, it was fun, and, and the, the thing I learned was the house was just the house. Like, those college kids brought their laundry and did laundry and helped fold our laundry, and the house was a mess half the time, and you just lived life. You didn't clean, you didn't make things neat, you just did. And so it wasn't uncommon. And so I saw that in my own family. And then I saw it in my mentors. As I grew up, when I was in sixth grade, I had a, a young guy come from the college and he became my youth minister. His name was Doug Loxton. And at the time, we had six people in our youth group. We had four seniors, we had one freshman who was only there for Sunday school, and then we had me, the sixth grader, the scrawny, annoying sixth grader. And, uh, and Doug made it a point pour into me. And so did those seniors, thankfully. Um, I, man, they drug me to everything. It was like, grab the, grab the little kid, throw him in the car, and we'll go do something. Um, I also got put in dumpsters and occasionally locked in closets. But other than that, they made me feel like community. And they made me feel loved. Um, and, and Doug made it a point to, to help us to understand how, how we love people changes things. How we love those that are our classmates changes things. And we saw God do some really cool things through our youth group because of that attitude. And that continued with other mentors, guys like Joe Banderman, Jeff Anderson, Ron Hay, and I could go on and on. The, the common theme was that relationships and community matter. 
And then maybe most importantly was just the Word of God. As I began to study the Word of God and, and get serious about it and grow in my faith, one of the things that I kept seeing throughout Scripture was community and relationships. Whether it was Abraham inviting some angels in for some food or whether it was the way that uh, Moses cared for people and the way he led people by relationships or whether it was David and his care for a fam- the family of Saul even though Saul had been horrible to him or whether it was in the New Testament as you saw the church and Acts gather together and, ha- and share everything in common. The, the constant theme that I kept seeing was relationships, community. And how do we live this life together? And so as I began about six months ago to pray, Lord, what would you have for us? Here at First Baptist Vandalia, what, where would you have us to go? What, what, is the, what is the emphasis that you want us to focus on in 2020? What is it that, that we need? What is it that, that you need from us? What is it that, that we can do? Where should, where should we look? My mind raced through lots of different things and and all of them are good and all of them are things that we may visit in the future. But the thing that kept coming back to me over and over again was community. And then we came to this passage in 1 Peter. As we went through that sermon series last year about how to live holy lives with a holy God, we came to this passage in 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. And I knew... This is where we had to go. If we were going to be the church that God called us to be, then we had to understand community. Community with each other and community outside these four walls. And so this morning, that's kind of how we've gotten here. That's my heart behind this. And so let's look at this passage that the Lord gives us here in 1 Peter. Let me read it one more time for you just to kind of refresh uh, in our minds what what we just read a moment ago. Peter starts off, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, and whoever serves as one who serves by strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we look here in our passage and we, we look at what Peter, through, by the Holy Spirit, is saying to us, what we see is that he is calling us to give of ourselves. He's calling us to give of ourselves. That if we are to face the persecution, if we're to face the difficult days ahead, that it must be a sacrifice of ourselves as we come together to do that together. First, he says that we should have a love for each other that leads to forgiveness. Look there in verse 8. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This was not a new message to Peter, by the way. It was a message that Jesus Christ himself had proclaimed. He said, first, look at the love of God that he pours out upon you and how his forgiveness happens. That He loved the world so much. That He loved us as His creation so much that He sent His one and only Son to die for us. That we may know life. We see it in Christ. But Christ 
gives us further evidence. He, he talks more and he says, not only that, but you should love others that way. The love that you experience for me that leads to forgiveness should impart to you a love that leads to great forgiveness. And so he tells the parable of the master who decided to settle accounts and he calls in one who owed a great debt. The debt was more than you could pay in a lifetime of wages. And the the gentleman who owed the great debt begs for forgiveness, begs that the master would look the other way. And the master relents and the master forgives this man and forgives all of his debt. He showed him great compassion, great mercy. And yet, what happens? This man who was forgiven this great debt walks out from that place and in walking out, he sees another person who owes him. And the, and the debt there was significant, but it was like a year's wage or maybe two years' wage. It was nothing compared to what the man had just been forgiven of. And yet he grabs, the, the one who had been forgiven much grabs this other guy and he says, pay me what you owe me. He said, man, I don't have it. Like, please forgive me and I, I'll promise I'll get it back to you. And instead of showing the same compassion and mercy that he had just been shown, he takes this guy and he throws him in debtor's prison. And what does Jesus Christ say? He says, that man is evil. He is evil. Brothers and sisters, this is the love that we are being called to. A love that forgives a multitude of sins. It's like what we said in the Standard Covenant. If you'll remember last week, we read the Standard Covenant that was from 1890 and, and probably earlier in the history of our church. It said that we would be what? Quick to find restitution, quick to offer forgiveness, but slow to find offense. Slow to think the worst of someone else. Slow to think that they were out to get us. And even if they have hurt us, slow to to take that too deeply, but quick to find an opportunity to forgive. Quick to find an opportunity to show the love of Christ back. So he, he tells us to have a love that leads to forgiveness. He also shares with us that we should have a hospitality that leads to thankfulness. Look there in verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. What's the opposite of grumbling? I can't think of a better word than thanksgiving. That we appreciate all that we've been given. And man... That really, it makes sense. When you begin to show hospitality to other people, when you begin to have them in your home, when you begin to hear their story, especially when you begin to care for those that, that need it the most, you begin to have a thankfulness in your own heart for what God has given you. Not only because it blesses you, but because it offers you an opportunity to bless somebody else. So hospitality leads to thankfulness. And we're going to get into this much more in the future. We're going to kind of camp out on hospitality probably in February. But, but man, hospitality changes things. It's an opportunity for us to grow relationships. It's an opportunity for us to share the gospel. But hospitality, and I want, I want to just make this comment. Hospitality is not without danger. Hospitality is not without danger. Now, here in Peter, we see that danger in a different way. If you'll read the whole book, and if you'll remember of our sermon series through 1 Peter, you'll remember that Peter is writing to people of great persecution, that they were losing everything for the gospel. And so you can imagine this scenario. Someone has lost their business, maybe they've lost their home because they were a believer in Jesus Christ, and then you as a fellow church member go to them and say, hey, I'll help you out. What have you just done? 
You have identified yourself with that person. You have made yourself a target for persecution. Because now the one doing the persecuting says, ah, they helped them out, so they're together. They're together in this. So there was great danger when when Peter says, show hospitality. He's not saying some light thing. It's more than just taking a casserole over to somebody. It is deeper than that. And you say, well, Brian, we don't really have that much persecution here. And, And you're right. In our country, we're blessed not to have to worry about that. But he has called us to identify with others. The church across the world. He has called us into going into dangerous places to care for loved ones. I, I was talking with Preston this week, and, and as an association, we're working on developing a relationship with IMB missionaries in Turkey. And he, the trip that they're getting ready to go on this next month is member care. It's just taking care of missionaries that are already there, taking care of churches that are already there. And Preston's like, this might be the most dangerous thing we do. Not only for them, but for us. And that we identify with them. But the danger can go beyond that. Because I'm not going to lie to you, when we do hospitality even here, you're going to get your heart broken. There are going to be times that people disappoint you. People that you've had in your home. People that you disciple. People that you pour Jesus Christ into. And you think, man, we're making progress. Man, this is going to turn out this way. And it's going to turn out this way. And it's going to be fantastic. And at the end of the road... It's heartbreak. At the end of the road is being taken advantage of. It happens. But this is what the Lord keeps putting in my mind. And this has come up in so many conversations lately. God does not measure success by the outcome. God measures success by the obedience so many times we like to take things and we think, well, we, had, we, we didn't have very many converts or maybe we had a thousand converts or maybe, maybe this program didn't do all that we thought it would do or maybe it did in abundance and that's how we measure success. But God looks at the heart and says, did you obey? Did you obey? Let me worry about the outcome. Did you obey? I've called you to hospitality. Don't worry about the heartbreak. You don't think God isn't able to take care of that heartbreak? Don't worry about being taken advantage of. He was the one that blessed you in the first place to do hospitality. You don't think He can bless you again? You obey. As we sang earlier, you are our King. You are a King. And so we follow Him. So we have a love that leads to forgiveness. We have a hospitality that leads to thankfulness despite the risk. And this is where I want to camp out just for a little bit. We have gifts that lead to praise. Look there at the end of our passage. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as a good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is very clear. You have been given a gift. In many cases you have been given gifts. Plural. 
They look different. He says that it's varied gifts, so they look different. It might be a home. It might be a car. It might be extra food. It may be discretionary spending in your budget. It may be gifts of personalities or other things. So let's just take a moment just to look at what, at what the Word of God says about gifts. Let's under, try to understand this a little bit deeper here. First, we need to realize that gifts come from, come from God. We see this throughout, especially the New Testament. Whether it be in James or whether it be in the writings of Paul, whether it be in Hebrews or Peter, we see that it is God our Father who gives us gifts. Now, the gifts that we've been talking about and, and we talked about with the kids, like I said, are home and, and, those, and, and cars and food and, and certainly our possessions are all gifts. Certainly our, our, our means, our occupation are gifts. But not only that, but God has given us what the Scripture says are spiritual gifts. Some of them take different forms, but all of them come from Him. And they come in all, gifts come in all forms, as we just said. Peter divides these gifts into two segments. He says that there is, are speaking gifts and there are service gifts. Now, Paul divides them a little differently. In Romans 12, 6 and following, he says, We each have gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us. And he names them. He says, some are, It's prophecy. Others have the, the gift of teaching. Others have the gift of service. Others have the gift of exhortation or encouragement. Some have the gift of contribution. Or, and they should do that in generosity. Others have the gift of leading. Others mercy. And if you go through the scriptures, you're going to see different lists. But all of them encompass the idea of spiritual gifts. And the word of God tells us that each one of us has one. But along with understanding that these gifts have come from God and understanding that they come in all forms must come an understanding that these gifts are to be used. That they're not just to be tucked away. My mom, my mom has pretty much given up all hope of buying clothes for me. Now you may say, Brian, you're 35. Why is your mother still buying clothes for you? But occasionally she'll go to Kohl's and she'll have Kohl's cash and I get something off the clearance rack. Mom's tired of looking at the same old tie or the same old shirt and she buys me something. She's pretty well given up on that though. And the reason is kind of sad. Because usually I get the gift and I have learned as my young friend has learned not to say dang it. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. But I have learned to smile and to nod and say, oh, thanks, a new shirt or a tie or I, whatever. I appreciate it. What I'm thinking in my head is, have you ever seen me wear this color before? <laughs> have you ever seen me wear this pattern? Have you ever seen me wear an ascot? No, is the answer to all those things. And so they end up in the back of the closet. And eventually this conversation happens. Whether it's with my mother as when I was a teenager or now with my wife who decides to purge our closet from time to time. This conversation happens. This still has the tags on it. I know your mother gave this to you years ago. Let's get rid of it. To which guilt rises up in my heart. And I say, no, 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 I'll, I'll wear it, I'll wear it, I'll wear it. 
thinking, no, no, I won't. But please keep it in the closet where I can have comfort that it's there. And I have not totally disappointed my mother. You know, that's a funny example, but we do the same thing with the gifts that God gives us. God gives us spiritual gifts, and He gives us tangible gifts. And for many of us, we take those gifts, and we put them in a drawer, and we close it. Never to look at it, or to use it again. And I believe God, at times, looks at us and says, if you're not going to use it, give it to somebody that will. I believe at times that God is just like the Master in another parable that Jesus tells. The Master who gave talents, gifts, money to three individuals, three of His, of his underlings. And he, and he says, I'm going to go away, but I'll expect this when I come back. And one of them takes it and buries it and does nothing with it. And the Master comes back, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the Master comes back and says, why would I give you any more when I can't trust you with this? If you're not going to use this, then why would I give you more? Why would I bless you further? And he takes it from him and he gives it to the guys that actually use their gifts, who actually use their talents. Brothers and sisters, my encouragement this morning to you is, have you taken stock of what your gifts are? Maybe it's time for you to purge the, the closet a little bit and to look through there. What is it that God has given you? What is it that He has gifted you in? Maybe He has gifted you in one of the speaking gifts. Whether it's teaching, or maybe it's music. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe He's not gifted in you in those areas at all, but maybe He's gifted you in the areas of service. Whether it's giving, or whether it's acts of service, acts of mercy as they're called in other places. I don't know. But have you taken stock of that and looked at it? And then do you understand that He gave you that gift and He put you in this place, in this church, to use it? Not to put it on a shelf and let it gather dust. And so I want to encourage you this week to, to go home and to pour over Scripture and to, to pray, Lord, what is my gift? Not only that, but to recognize the, the, the physical gifts you've been given. To recognize that your home is not a fortress, but rather it is an embassy where people are to come and to go to hear the Word of God, to know the love of Christ. To know that that extra car isn't just for when the other one breaks down, but it's to be used in some way or fashion. To take stock of what we have. And to take stock of where we are and how we can be used by the King. Because ultimate, and, and remembering that ultimately it's about obedience, not about how we measure success. I want, I want to end just real quickly though with a warning. Not really a warning, just a, a heads up. Because this is what happens sometimes after you preach a sermon like this. Stop me if you've heard this. We, need, we have a need in the nursery. We need someone to take care of babies. Oh, that is not my gift, brother. Find someone else. You heard that before? It's like, I think half of the Baptist mantra is to say, that's not my gift. And we hide behind this idea of spiritual gifts. 
Now let me give you another scenario. My father comes to me as a child, and as he was apt to do, says, son, I need you to go work in the garden. I know it's going to be 115 out. I know the humidity is 100%. I don't care. Go grab a hoe and get in the garden. To, to, by the way, tend to green beans, which you absolutely hate. And I look at my father as between the ages of probably 6 and 18, and I say, you know what, Dad? That's not my gift. I don't have the green thumb like you do. I don't have a passion for plants. I certainly don't have a passion for vegetables. So I'm going to pass this time. Some of you are laughing because you know what happened next. Okay? And yet, so why do we feel comfortable standing between, before a heavenly father who has said, this is the need in the church, and saying, that's not my gift? Brothers and sisters, sometimes obeying the father isn't about gifts. Sometimes it's just about doing what needs to be done. I think Paul understood this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll end with this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, he he talks to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfilling your ministry. You know, as as I study Timothy's life, especially in comparison with Paul's life, Paul was a gifted evangelist. He was called into that role, called into that office, and had that gift. Paul could have an evangelistic conversation with a wall. Okay? And I know people like that. I know people that that's just their passion, it's their heart, and it's just who they are. But not all of us are gifted that way. And I don't think Timothy was gifted that way. I think Timothy was an incredibly gifted teacher. I think Timothy was gifted with a heart for mercy and acts of service. As as we read through Scripture, I don't think he was a gifted evangelist. I don't think that was his spiritual gift. And yet, what does Paul tell him is part of active obedience? Do the work of an evangelist. Sometimes, obedience isn't about giftedness. Yes, I, I want us to take stock. What is our spiritual gift? What are the things that God has, has said? This is what I've given you. Use it in the church. But sometimes we just need to hear the need and do it because it needs to be done. And so I pray that as we go through this year, as we think about community, as we think about hospitality, as we think about encouragement and generosity, there may be times that you hear a word from God and you say, or you're tempted to say, that's not my gift. Brothers and sisters, if the king has commanded us to do it, (laughs) you don't stand before dad and say, I'm going to pass. Let's grab a hold of it and let's run with it. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a time of response. It's not a a generally, this this isn't what I would call a, a true gospel response, like in the sense that this morning we've kind of been talking to family, our church family, talking to those that are already believers. But certainly, if you're here this morning and, and you've never put your faith and trust in God, you don't know what it is to have community in a place like this. You don't know what it is to, to love people in, in, in a way that you forgive them for everything. That, that's, that's awkward to you. That, you've never felt that. You've never experienced that. Then certainly, we would invite you this morning to come and to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. Come find one of us. Come talk to me after the service. Come talk to me now. 
We'd love to introduce you to him and who he is and what he has done for us. We'd love to have you be part of our community and ultimately his family. If you're a member here, though, I hope that you'll take this time just to, to yes, to praise him if that's what he leads you to do, but also just to take stock. Maybe there's something in that closet that you need to deal with. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning that we've been given. Thank you for those that came out despite maybe some questionable conditions. Thank you for an opportunity to come and to worship this morning, but also an opportunity to come and to hear your word. Father, what a wonderful thing it is that the God of all creation, the God of all the universe, chooses to speak to us. I pray that you would help us to be good listeners pray that as we go out from this place that we would use this week just to take stock of all of the gifts and all of the blessings that we've been given and to understand you desire for us to use those things, not to hold on to them, not to waste them. Lord, help us to be good stewards this week. I pray that as we do that, that we would see that we would see the fruit of obedience, whatever you choose to make that look like. We pray all of this in the beautiful, beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would, stand with us. You can come to the altar. But let's respond to the Word of God this morning. close us in a word of prayer this morning. I hope that you have a blessed and wonderful week. I hope that you're careful today uh, as you go out. And uh, I pray, we pray, uh, Melissa and I do, for all of you. And I hope that that the Lord just opens your eyes this week to many blessings and the many gifts that he's given you. Thank you all and God bless. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we heard this morning. And pray, Lord, that our hearts and minds might be open to what you would have us to do. Father, we realize the many blessings that you give us that we take for granted. Help us, Lord, to share your love with those around us this week. 
might we be aware of the opportunities that you put before us. Forgive us when we fail you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.